church at this time, you may do so. We are continuing this week a series that we started a couple of weeks ago as, as we were kind of walking through the book of Colossians together um, as a community. And, um, you know, as it happens, Colossians has four chapters. And so we're stretching this out over four weeks, kind of focusing on a chapter a week. And as we learned in chapter one of Colossians, the theme of the whole thing, Paul is writing and he's letting everyone know, look, everything that you have going on, all of these outside influences that are now coming into you, your family, your church, your town, your city, none of that matters. What matters is keeping Jesus the center. And that was the whole chapter one. Chapter one, just Paul over and over again, just reminding the Colossians, look, if Jesus is not the center of everything that happens in your life, your life will not be happening. I think we often, and we talked about this, you know, we we like to kind of um, make lists. And so we often say, you know, well, we want to put God first above all things. And then we try to figure out what second, third, and fourth. And that's not what Paul is saying here at all. He's not saying Jesus should be first above all. He's saying Jesus should be first in all things. Jesus should be the center of your marriage. It should be the center of your relationship with your kids. It should be, Jesus should be the center of the relationships with your friends, with your neighbors, your coworkers, your employees, your employers. That it's not about Jesus being above any of them. It's about being Jesus being first in all of those things. We just sang that song about Jesus being the center the center of our universe, the center of who we are. Chapter two then moved into, okay, Paul's saying, if Jesus is the center, now what? And I love it because Paul just called him out. He said, look, you've been studying long enough. You've, You've been going to church long enough. You've been having Bible studies long enough. You know all about Jesus. Now go do something. And man, chapter two is all about just getting out of their pews, you know, stepping out of their houses, out of their church, going into their world and actually being the church. Paul's saying, look, don't focus on your past. Don't think about your future. I'm talking about right now in this moment. What has God prepared you for? Now go do it. Go do it with Christ at the center of all that you do. So this week we're in chapter three and I'm gonna read. So we're gonna hit chapter three off and on throughout the morning. I'm I'm just gonna start off by reading the first 11 verses. Paul writes, this is uh, Colossians chapter three, verse one. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on all things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is in your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever brings, uh, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all these things. You must rid yourself of anger, of rage, of malice, of slander, of filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken the old self off in its practices 
and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. Here, there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave, or free. But Christ is all, and Christ is in all. See, Christ, Jesus, he didn't just come to make you a better person. He came to make you new, a new person. If you would pray for me this morning as I pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we uh, tackle this idea of newness, and maybe for a lot of us, this newness seems a million miles away and a thousand years ago that we experienced it. But God, it doesn't change the fact that we are new. That our goal on this earth should not just be to be better. Our goal on this earth is to be made new and to have that newness reflected in every aspect of our lives. Lord, this morning, if there's any of the old that we need to shake off, if there's any of the old that we need to get rid of, reveal that to us this morning. Show us the newness of your life, the newness of our life, who you have created us to be. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be honest, I like new things, right? I mean, who doesn't like new things? I like new things to the point that like even the smallest things that are new, I love. Like, like the new tube of toothpaste. Anybody love that? You know, like it gets brand new and you get to, you know, we fight over, Beth and I do, who gets the first squeeze on that toothbrush? Like I want to do it, right? Like, like I'll, I'll even do it before the old one's used just so I can have that new first push. I love, I love that. I, I love um, the idea of a new bar of soap. You know, not the old one. I want the fresh, like that new, that new rectangle, new square, whatever it is. Like, like I want that. There's other things that we like. Like, like for me, and, and this is a little uh, quirky, but I like a new loaf of bread. I'm the guy that when I open that new loaf of bread, I'll dig my hand to the middle of it, and I want to pull out the center, right? Like, that's how new I want it. Like, don't even give me the first third or the last third. I want that middle third. Like, I want that new, fresh piece of bread. We love new cars. Why? I'm convinced we buy new cars just so we can have the new car smell. Like, it has nothing to do with anything else. Like, we just want to be able to sit in that car and smell the newness of that car and look around and not see Cheetos and spilled milkshakes and bought-up napkins or whatever else. Like, we want to just experience that newness. I love new shoes. I love putting them on and feeling the cushion, you know, and, like, feeling like I'm a little bit taller, like, 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 like Scott Belton tall. Like, that's what I feel like, like, when I'm, like, put on new shoes, like, like I'm wearing platforms, Right? Like, I love the newness. Now, there's some stuff that's good, that's old. Like my favorite baseball cap. I love that old cap. I wear it. It's sweaty. It's nasty. It's smelly. No matter how many times I watch it, but it just fits just right. Like, you know that. I love a good pair of old sweats. I, I found that the older I get, the more sweatpants I wear. And, and I'll walk out of the bedroom uh, to start my day, really. I, I mean, I'm coming up here to work, and I'm wearing sweatpants. And Beth's reaction is the same every time. She looks at me and says, you just mailing it in today? <laughs> you just, have you given up on life? <laughs> like, like, that's her, like, but maybe, but those sweatpants feel good. So there, so there are some things that are old that feel nice, but there's just something about new things. We love to experience new things. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you can sit here this morning and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, do you remember what it was like when you were a new Christian? Do you not feel like you were invincible? 
Like, I remember that's how I felt. Like, like, like I felt like, like nothing could stop me. Like, like, Jesus is in me. Jesus is with me. Like, like, there's nothing that can hold me back. And I wanted everything to do with Jesus. Like, all of my radio stations were, were preset to Christian stations, even if it was the same station five times. Like, I just wanted that, right? Like, I read my Bible daily. I was doing devotions. I was at church every time the doors were open. There was just something about this new feeling of being a Christian that was amazing. But then something happens. It's called life, right? And life starts to hit us. And, and much like the waves at the ocean, we start to erode a little bit. And, it, and it's often not like a tsunami, right? It's those crashing waves day after day, hour after hour. It just wears us down a little bit more every single day. And this newness that we felt with our relationship with Jesus did not feel new anymore. Uh, I talked about having a new car. You know how it is. Those of you who've ever bought a brand new car, you take that car and you baby it, right? You park it in the garage or when you go shopping, you park it at the very back of the parking lot so nobody will be around you. You, like, you, you tell everyone there's no eating in this car, right? Like there's not going to be a car. This is strictly for riding. Like knock, you take your shoes off before you even get in this car, right? Like that's the way it is. And then inevitably what happens, we get that first ding. A buggy hits us, a car gets opened up into us. We back into our brother's car. Something happens, right? That may or may not happen this week. And so something happens, and all of a sudden it doesn't feel new anymore. And then there's that time we cave, and we're like, all right, I'll just go through the drive-thru. I, I know I said I wasn't going to eat in here, but I got to. And then we spill the drink, right? And then there's milkshake dried in the back seat. And then all of a sudden you're just like, whatever. And it's not so new anymore. That's exactly how it is in our faith. Our faith feels so new and so fresh when we first started following Jesus and then life comes and things happen and we get dings and, and bangs and, and hurts and history and sin and all of these things that happen to us that take the shine off of our faith. And just like our car doesn't feel new anymore, our faith doesn't feel new anymore. So why don't we feel new? I was thinking about my own life. You know, I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember. I grew up in church from day one. As an infant, I've been in church my entire life. You know, I don't know when that moment was that I can pinpoint the date and say, this is when I became a follower. But I can think about times in my life where my faith felt renewed. Where I just felt, man, me and God are like this. So when times are not like that, what, what causes it? For me, I think I sin and I feel guilty, Right? I feel guilty, and so the newness is kind of not there. I feel, I feel ashamed. I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I'm unworthy. I have negative thoughts. Uh, I have bad habits. And I think sometimes we just think life would be easier than it is. Well, if I'm with Jesus, and Jesus is with me, and Jesus is in me, and Jesus is the center, shouldn't everything else be a little bit easier? And sometimes it's not. A lot of times it's not. It's still life. And all of a sudden, our faith doesn't feel so new. So as I was thinking about my list, the times in my life, the things that keep my faith from being new, there were three things that jumped out at me. And if you're taking notes, maybe your faith falls into one of these three things. Maybe you're like me and you hit the triple, right? All three are you. 
The three things that I think could prevent me from experiencing this new life is my history, my hurts, and my habits. That's it. Everything in my life that prevents me from experiencing this new creation, this newness with God, is my history, my hurts, and my habits. My history is about what I did. My hurts is about what others did to me. And my habits is about what I continually do. And odds are you're one of those three. One of those three is your stumbling block, if not two or all three. We, we struggle with our history. And we sit here and we say, Mike, you, you, but you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the people I've hurt. You don't know the things I've said. You don't know the way I've acted. You don't know the sin in my life. And you're right, I don't. I don't know that. And the problem is you do. And so you disqualify yourself because you know your history and the enemy wants to remind you of your history every single second of your life. And then we have our hurts. What someone did to us. We feel wounded. We feel betrayed. And that leaves us vulnerable. And if you're like me, it, it makes you hard to trust people again. And then there's the habits, right? Why am I still struggling with this? I mean, Jesus should be in my life. If Jesus is in my life, why do I even have this desire? Why do we even have this habit? I've prayed but nothing's changed. And I think the reason our history and our hurts and our habits are so detrimental to our newness is because we've associated our feelings with our relationship with God. Our history makes us feel bad about ourselves. Our hurt makes us feel bad about ourselves. And our habits make us feel bad about ourselves. And so we have this image of ourselves that we think this is how God sees us. And so we associate the way we feel about ourselves to the way God feels about us. And even though your feelings may be legitimate, they are not factual. Just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that's the truth. I have a friend that, um, he, he, he lived in New York. He was a Christian uh, artist at one time, Christian music. And, um, and he was in a little band. He lived in New York in an apartment. And he was telling me one day that he came out of his apartment. And, and we see this in a lot of big cities, or at least we think we do. Um, you know, the guy on the corner with the megaphone, right? That's kind of yelling and preaching, kind of that street corner preacher. And he said he came out of his apartment. His apartment was right near the corner, and he was running down to the store, and he turned, and here was this guy, and he was sitting there passing out tracks, and he was you know, saying stuff to people. And he said the one phrase he kept hearing as people were just walking by, I mean, this is New York, nobody's stopping for him, that as people were just walking by, this guy kept looking at everybody saying, how do you feel about God? How do you feel about God? How do you feel about God? My buddy said he kind of put his head down and kind of walked on past. And he said he got to the store and picked up whatever he needed to. And he was like, all right, I know I'm going to walk past this guy and he's going to ask me how I feel about God. What am I going to say? So he said he was thinking about all this stuff, how he was going to explain how he feels about God. 
And he said when he got back to his street corner, when he got back to his apartment, sure enough, the guy looked right at him and said, how do you feel about God? And he said, all of a sudden, before he could even say anything, all of these things he thought in his head that he was going to try to explain how he felt about God, he said what came out of his mouth was, I don't think it matters how I feel about God. I think it matters how he feels about me. And he said, even that street preacher stopped and was like, what do I say to that, <laughs> right? And my friend went into this long talk, kind of, you know, telling the guy, this is how God sees me, and this is how God feels about me, and I'm forgiven, and I'm adopted, and I'm a son of God, and all of these things. But he said he went upstairs, and he ended up writing a whole song about it, because he said it, it hit him like he'd never thought about that before. So much of our feelings about God is how we feel about God. And so when we feel a certain way about God, when life erodes our faith, when God, when the waves of life makes our life not feel new anymore, all of a sudden God feels far away. Um, if you run into somebody who maybe they used to be really in shape and now they're not in shape anymore and you're having a conversation with them and they're just like, yeah, I, I used to be really in shape. I used to work out every day. I used to da-da-da-da-da, but, but now I'm not. Well, why aren't you? Well, I just don't feel like going to the gym anymore. Okay, well, is that the gym's fault? <laughs> right? The gym didn't change. You changed. Like, what you did changed. You're not getting up early. You're not dedicated. You're not eating right. You're not going to working out. Like, you're the thing that changed. You're the reason that you're not in shape anymore. It's not the gym's fault. Just because you don't feel like going to the gym, you can't blame the gym for being overweight now. And I think we do that. I do that with God. At times, I, feel, I, don't, I don't feel close to God because maybe I don't feel like doing the things I need to do. Well, that's not God's fault. He's not the one who, who went away. It was me. I'm the one who pulled back. It was all about me. So how do we change this? How do I change this? When we're feeling our history, our hurts, and our habits, when all of those things are eroding our faith, when all of those things are adding the dents and the dings and the spilled milkshakes and everything else to our lives, how do we overcome that? Three things. We have to understand that we are forgiven from our history. We are forgiven from our history. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance to the riches of God's grace. In Christ we are forgiven. Not by our good works, not by our religious efforts, not by our church attendance, not by anything that we can physically do. Nothing. It is only in Christ that our history can be forgiven. If you're a parent, I don't even know if you can, like, I'm speaking for myself now. I don't, you know, obviously your kids disobey, right? I mean, that's just human nature. We're going to disobey our parents, you know. I still disobey my parents, right? I mean, that's just it. Uh, but do we keep a record of that? Like, not if you're a good parent, you don't. You don't journal that stuff. You don't bring it back up to your kid. If your kid comes to you and says, look, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have lied to you. I should have done this, or I should have been home when you told me to, or whatever it was. You just say, all right, you know what? You're forgiven. You know, here's the consequence of that, but we're moving on. Is it not the same way with our father who already says in the scriptures, he loves us more than we can love our own kids? 
That God is saying, look, when you've come to me and you're like, God, I'm sorry, I know I screwed up. I know I blew it. Please forgive me. All right, you're forgiven. That history is gone. It has been wiped out. It is not there anymore. But yet the enemy wants us to keep thinking that we have to revisit it over and over and over again. And that's not the truth. God's like, what history? Like, it's gone. Why do you keep bringing this up to me? I've moved on. If your kid did something, you know, like three years ago, and they're still coming to you today, and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I lied to you when I was 10 years old. You'd be like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. Just, you know, you're fine. But man, that's the way we treat God. God wants us to understand that our history can be forgiven. Our history is forgiven in him. We just got to learn to forgive ourselves. We need to let go of the shame that we feel for the mistakes that we made. We need to understand that we are forgiven. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible is something Jesus said. It's found in Luke 19.10. It says, the son, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. We've all heard that, right? You know? For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. I grew up for years believing that to seek and save something that was lost is this idea of salvation, you know, that one time save, like, like you need to be saved. Well, then when I got to studying this a few years ago, I realized that this word save is not save. It is not. The word save that we, that we translate save in the Greek is actually the word restore. And that changes that whole verse. For the Son of Man came to seek and restore that which was lost. What does it mean to restore? It means to be made what? New. Jesus said, I've come to find you and to make you new. Amen? We can be new. Our history can be forgiven. Jesus is in the restoration business. We can be made new. We also are healed from our hurts. We're forgiven from our history and we can be healed from our hurts. Isaiah 61.1, the Lord has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the darkness and release from the darkness the prisoners. I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I don't. Maybe only you do. Maybe only you and your spouse do. Maybe only you and your kids do. Maybe only you and God. But I know God's in the healing business. This whole book is about healing. And that's hard. It's hard to believe that we can be healed. But let's just look at our bodies. Um, when I was young, I was, uh, I was a terrible athlete, right? But I still didn't stop me from playing sports. And so as long as I can remember, I've played sports and, 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 and ended up landing kind of in soccer. And that was kind of my thing. And, and I remember playing soccer in high school. And there was a couple of different times I kind of tweaked my knee a little bit. I had to sit out a couple of games and had a brace. And, and it's kind of no big thing. It kind of moved on until I got to be, you know, around, you know, 20 or so, 20, 21. And then I completely blew out my knee. Like everything in my knee was like gone. I did that playing church softball of all things. So it blew out my knee. Obviously, I had to have total reconstructive surgery on my left knee. And since then, I've had a series of surgeries every so many years. 
And a couple of years ago, I had a surgery. And when the doctor did that surgery, he said, look, you have no cartilage left in your knee. Like there's nothing else we can do. The next time you hurt this knee, you got to have knee replacement. All right. You know what? Do you think I wake up every day worried about that knee? Do you think I wake up every day and think, man, I don't think I can walk today. I don't think I can hike today. I don't think I can run around the backyard throwing football with Jacob today. I don't think I can go play disc golf today. No, I don't think about it. Why? Because I know that my knee right now is healed. It may get hurt again, but right now it is healed. And so I can walk with confidence, knowing that I don't have to you know, pay it any close attention. I can just go and keep doing what I want to do. But man, that is hard when we get hurt inside, isn't it? When we get hurt emotionally, mentally, spiritually, socially, those pains seem to run a lot longer and a lot deeper than a physical pain. And we convince ourselves, I'm too hurt to move on. I'm too hurt for this new relationship. I'm too, I'm too damaged. I'm too bruised. I'm vulnerable. I don't trust people. And those are all things that I've said to myself. But God is here because he is in the restoration business and because he is in the healing business, he is here to take our hurts and do something incredible with them. We, um, for many, many, many years, we went to Mexico City and um, worked in various places around the city. And one of the places that we landed at um, was a a women's home for... um, Uh, women with disabilities, we'll say, you know, mental, physical disabilities. And the story goes, the lady who runs the place, she was, was, by the time she was, I think, eight or nine years old, she had been abandoned by her parents. So at 10 years old, she's living on the streets of Mexico City, a 10-year-old. By 12, she was addicted to drugs and she was selling her body. At 12 years old, by the time she was 18, she'd been arrested more times than she can remember. But while she was in jail one time, when she was 18, 19 years old, she had this Jesus moment where when she tells the story, she says, I was in this prison, though everything turned bright white. There was something in front of me. It was Jesus telling me that he forgives me and he wants me to come to him. That is her story. She walked out of that prison, out of that jail, a different person. She went home. She had a daughter that she started building a relationship with and her daughter got to come live with her. She started getting her life back together. She started actually working a normal job and all of these things. And then one day there was a knock on the door. She went and she answered the door of her apartment. She opened it up and there was a baby at her doorstep. Someone had left, a disabled baby. So she took the child in. She asked around. Nobody knew who it was. So she's like, what am I going to do with this child? I, I got I to gotta pass this child along, this little girl along to somebody. And God said, no, that little girl is you. You're going to raise this little girl. So she did. She has no idea who this girl was. She has no idea still to this day who her parents are. But she took in that little girl and started raising her. Well, word got out that she had taken in this girl. A few months later, there was another knock at the door. She opened her door. There was another disabled young child, little girl there. She's like, God, what am I going to do with two? God said, you're going to take them. She has, over these last almost probably 50 years now at this point, she has adopted by name, legally adopted, over 100 girls and women. She has this 
she ended up, like God gave her, literally gave her this old apartment complex, which we've gone to and we've worked at and we've painted and we've served meals with these women. Like I've been there, I've seen the ministry. And she'll say, I could not have done this if my life, if my hurts had not been there. But because God was there for me and my hurts and my pains, I know I can be there for these girls so that they're not abandoned, so that they know there's a God that loves them and is there for them. It's grown to the point now that she has this apartment complex filled with all these girls and women, all of them disabled in some way that she takes care of every day. She also now has another complex filled with men and boys. She took her hurts, she took her pains, and she allowed that hurt for God to get in there and not only heal her, but to use that pain to heal others. God is in the healing business. He wants to forgive us for our history. He wants to heal our hurts, and he wants to free us from our habits. Our habits. You know, it's funny, our sins, we believe our sins are forgiven, but, but our, our habits often stick around, right? Like if you were a procrastinator and then you come to know Jesus, well, now you're just a Christian procrastinator, right? I mean, like nothing's really changed. You're still just like, you're still that person. You still, you still have those habits. And, and that's what we wrestle with. It's like we say things like, man, I love God, but I still fill in the blank. You know, I, I, I still smoke, I still gamble, I still look at stuff I shouldn't, I still overspend, overeat, I take too many prescription meds or illegal drugs, I still have anger issues, I'm incredible, incredibly critical, I'm judgmental. I mean, that was just things that were just popping off my head as I was writing this that we all struggle with. All of those things, right? Or we know people who do, or we live with people who do. They're Christians, they love Jesus, but they still struggle with these habits. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to free you from those habits. It has been clinically proven that it takes 21 days to form a habit and to break a habit. That's it. If you have a habit, let's say it's whatever, let's say it's overeating, right? If you don't overeat for 21 days and you eat healthy for 21 days, There is something that happens in our mind, in the chemicals in our brain, that things start to shift at that 21-day mark. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be like, oh, it's a piece of cake, all of a sudden overnight I'm fine. No, you may still struggle with that the rest of your life, but you have developed a new habit to break that old habit. So that got me thinking, like as we were looking at at Colossians chapter 3, are there any habits in here that we need to be thinking about? You know, we stopped with uh, verse 11 right after we got all the don'ts, right? Paul's like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Those are the old habits. We pick up in verse 12, the new habits. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are habits. It kills me all the time. We're like, well, I'm not a patient person. Well, you're not trying to be a patient person, right? Well, how does somebody become kind? Because they were kind daily, maybe even when they didn't feel like it. They developed a habit of kindness. They developed a habit of compassion. Paul continues, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love that binds them together in perfect unity. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom and psalms and psalms and hymns and songs in the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This new life in Christ is not a fairy tale. It's not something that we see uber-religious people having. It's not something that you're like, well, you know what, that guy's on TV or she's on TV and they're preaching or they're writing best-selling books, so they must be at a certain level. No, we can all be at that level. But it starts with allowing us to believe that God can forgive us of our history, that he can heal us from our hurts, and he can free us from our habits. If we believe those things, we can be made new. Newness should be our desire, not a better person. I want to be new. I want to have my mind renewed daily. I want to have my thoughts, my spirit, my soul renewed daily. If that's what it takes. I want this church to be made new. I want you guys to be made new. I want my family, my marriage to be made new. And the only way that can happen is if Jesus is the sinner. The only way. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning and um, I just pray that this message has been clear. Uh, I pray I haven't uh, made it too confusing because it is such a simple message. You love us. You desire to be the center of our universe, the center of our lives. Lord, help us this morning if we needed to be reminded that you have forgiven us of our history. And God, let us soak in that this morning. If we're walking around wounded and hurt, feeling vulnerable, God, I pray this morning that those hurts are healed. And Lord, if we're struggling, any of us, all of us, with those habits, letting go of the anger, letting go of the judgment, letting go of, of, of drugs or porn or, or gossip or anything else that may be holding us back. And let us take on the new. Let us create a habit of compassion, of forgiveness, of kindness, of love. God, this morning, just be the center of